1: Tent City attack. That they're not getting found out for what
2: they are doing. A homeless man loses everything after a vicious beating. Abusive parents ruining the game.
3: They are yelling and screaming at the, the contact tracers, swearing, calling them names.
2: A youth soccer league battles horrible behavior from adults who should know better. And a coastal community at risk from rain.
4: Right now there is um, warnings of landslides. They have closed off a couple of roads.
2: The airlift to evacuate an entire village.
5: You're watching Global BC.
2: This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The victim of a brutal attack in Strathcona Park is speaking exclusively to Global News tonight. Adam Blackburn, who recently became homeless, thought the park would be a safe place to get back on his feet. But as Sarah McDonald shows us, Adam found out that criminals seem to be running the show.
1: I've never had to do anything like this before in my life.
6: This isn't the version of himself that Adam Blackburn wants to present publicly, but he's been left with no choice.
1: Due to these injuries and my situation falling through cracks, there's like, what am I supposed to do now?
6: An economic casualty of the COVID-19 pandemic, Blackburn lost his job and then his home and any source of income. Finally finding himself here, at the now notorious Strathcona Homeless Encampment, where he thought he'd be safer than on the streets. He was wrong.
1: That night, I really don't know anything other than being woken up to being attacked.
6: He hasn't returned since October 16th, when he fell victim to a vicious, unprovoked attack, stabbed repeatedly, and essentially left for dead. Police not notified until hours later, when a passerby found Blackburn bleeding and begging. For help. where's
3: the humanity in that these are there's victims in there of serious assault suffering and paramedics and police can't even get to it till hours later
1: i've had two uh, three surgeries two on my Foot, one on my arm, reattaching tendons and nerves, reattaching nerves, and just stab wounds all the way down.
6: Nearly two weeks have passed, and still Blackburn is desperately seeking shelter. He hasn't been able to bathe, clean his wounds, or change his bandages. But despite the hundreds of millions of dollars spent by the province to purchase hotels to house the homeless, Blackburn says somehow he hasn't made the cut.
1: What really boggles my mind is why I'm not in a hotel right now, at the very least so that I can at least take care of my medical needs.
6: He's also going public with his first-hand perspective on the crime and politics at play when it comes to people profiting off poverty. He says drug dealers setting up tents to sell at Strathcona is no secret and believes the high-profile organizers who speak on behalf of tent city residents have a vested interest in the status quo, questioning where funds meant for the most vulnerable are actually going.
1: I know what they're doing isn't for us. You know, I kind of... Maybe put single myself out. I'm not saying that this attack is completely the reason, but I'm definitely that's probably part of the reason.
6: But he may never know for sure, with his attackers still at large, two suspects arrested, but never charged. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
2: Here's a look at the COVID-19 numbers for the province today. We have 287 new confirmed cases. That's after testing 9,568 people. And it puts our positivity rate just under 3%. Total cases in the province, now 13,658. Sadly, two more people have died, meaning we've now lost 261 to COVID-19. 83 patients are in hospital, 25 of those in the ICU. 11,244 are considered recovered, leaving us with 2,316 active cases and more than 5,300 in isolation. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on that positivity rate, a number we've been keeping an Mm -hmm. eye on, and how Dr. Bonnie Henry interprets it. It's not cut and dried, Keith. Certainly not, Chris. And we always try to take a deep dive into these numbers rather
7: than just the number of cases every day. The positivity rate is one we've been tracking with regularity now. And you sat down with Dr. Bonnie Henry today to talk about the positivity rate, what it means and also how it applies to places like Fraser Health, which we've been focusing on uh, these past few weeks because COVID numbers in Fraser Health are really uh, uh, considerably higher than anywhere else in the province. And she tells us exactly why that is.
8: In March, when we had limited testing capacity, we needed to focus the testing on people who were um, in healthcare settings or were going to end up in hospitals so that we could prepare. And our testing positivity rate was about 8% um we're now down hovering around 2% higher in the Fraser Valley but we're also targeting people in the Fraser Valley we've had outbreaks in uh, uh related to gyms related to uh workplaces uh, some of the large food processing plants and you know this is they're all in the Fraser Valley so that's one of the reasons we're seeing the the, the higher numbers there
7: So speaking of the Fraser Health region, that's where Dr. Bonnie Henry is headed tomorrow for her regular Thursday briefing. It's not a public event or anything like that, uh, but she is, I think, sending a message to Surrey and Fraser Health that uh, they've got to get those numbers down. And she's going to be joined for the first time, my understanding is, since the election started by Health Minister Adrian Dix. So it's going to be interesting to see what their message is
2: to Fraser Health tomorrow as the cases there continue to escalate. No doubt. Okay, thanks, Keith. And that takes us to our next story. When Dr. Henry gave the go-ahead for amateur and kid sports to restart, she included rules that are designed to keep players, coaches, and parents safe. But for one Chilliwack Soccer League, enforcing those rules has meant volunteers are becoming the targets of extremely abusive behavior from some parents who don't want to comply. And as Grace Key shows us, the league is issuing a plea...
9: Chilliwack FC has had enough when it comes to the unruly behavior of some parents who refuse to abide by the COVID-19 provincial health orders.
3: They're yelling and screaming at these poor ladies sitting there, taking their information, getting right in their face, you know, telling them they're infringing on their rights, taking, you know, just, just being bad representatives of our club
9: and for their children. We asked the Chilliwack FC chair exactly what parents were saying to volunteers and workers. You know like I don't need to do this
3: you know I'm fine take your contact tracing and shove
9: it you know just appalling behavior just appalling. In front of children. In front of children. The organization posted a letter describing the behavior as horrific and borderline violent. It's gotten so bad, parents are now required to sign a COVID-19 return and play policy before their child can play. And Chilliwack FC is hiring security. If there's poor behavior, you're going to answer to that now.
3: And we, we will take you to task. We will not allow you to come to the fields. We will expel you
9: from our club. The public health order limits public gatherings at events to 50 people and contact tracing is required. Chilliwack FC also requires spectators to wear masks entering and exiting the facility. One supporter for each player is allowed in the facility until the maximum is reached. If they can't get in, they're welcome to stand
3: outside of the facility and lean up against the fence and watch the game. And in some cases, the vantage point is
9: way better than being in the stands. The chair says a majority of the parents are supportive and many are just thankful their kids are back playing on the field. Grace Key, Global News.
2: The city of White Rock is eliminating parking fees along its popular waterfront in an effort to encourage people to visit shops, restaurants and other struggling businesses there. Parking will be free from November 1st until January 31st of 2021. Vehicles along Marine Drive can park for up to four hours and in some places, like the West Beach Parkade on Vidal Street, You'll be able to leave your car for up to 14 hours. The city feels it's important to help support local businesses, especially those that have been hurting due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's still unclear how much it's going to cost drivers to travel in and out of certain areas of Vancouver if proposed road pricing measures are approved at City Hall. As Ted Trinecki explains, the city presented a technical briefing this morning to reveal more details But some question what taxpayers will really get for the massive cost.
7: We need to cut global carbon emission in half by 2030.
5: According to the City of Vancouver, the cost of its proposed Climate Emergency Action Plan, or CEEP, is a half billion dollars over five years. Despite growing criticism about the timing of the plan, the councillor who introduced the motion says this is all about leadership.
4: Vancouver has a history of leading on this. I hope we continue to lead uh, and we create a path that others feel uh, able to join us on.
5: The report shows how in 1995, for example, the Van City Tower on Terminal Avenue had a heat recovery system installed for $313,000. That reduced natural gas by 96 percent for an annual saving of $50,000.
4: And it makes sense for most people, of course, if you have a leaky roof You want to fix it soon so that the water doesn't rot the rest of the foundation and it's going to cost a lot more a few years down the road to fix all of it.
5: But Vancouver represents only about 25% of the population in the Lower Mainland. Even if the city reaches its carbon targets, realistically, it'll have virtually no impact on the world's climate and Vancouverites will pay dearly while neighbouring cities may not.
1: We've seen lots of Vancouverites as well as business owners in the Vancouver area being gravely affected by the repercussions that the pandemic has brought and so I think the timing of this is questionable at best.
5: Clear throughout the SEEP study is the city's disdain for the automobile. It wants two-thirds of all travel by 2030 to be on foot, bicycle or public transit. It's even proposing to eliminate The minimum number of parking spaces now required for new developments, and instead impose a maximum.
1: I think that many of the goals that this puts forward are absolutely valiant, but we have to question the methods by which the city is seeking to achieve them.
5: Under the province's Zero Emission Vehicle Act, 30% of all new vehicle sales have to be zero emission by 2030, and theoretically by 2040, you won't even be able to buy a new gasoline vehicle in B.C. Ted Shinneky, Global News.
2: Epic rainfall and fast-rising rivers are forcing residents of a remote coastal community to flee. Rivers Inlet is located on the central coast, about 65 kilometers north of the northern tip of Vancouver Island. The huge surge of water is putting homes and people at risk, and the town is so remote, helicopters are being used to carry evacuees to Port Hardy. Aaron MacArthur reports. The creeks are full,
10: roads closed, and dozens of people in Weekanook are being evacuated. The threat of landslides and flooding in the tiny village forced officials to take action
0: we have um, taken the step to evacuate um, anybody in the community who is um, either an elder or has um, families with small children or anybody who has opted to be evacuated, especially for those people who live in homes
3: where there is a greater risk of flooding.
10: There are no roads into Rivers Inlet. People can either fly in 45 minutes or make the three-hour trip by boat. Evacuees were flown to Port Hardy by helicopter Wednesday afternoon. The regional district setting up an emergency operations center to make sure everyone has food and a place to stay.
4: There's about 35 people who will be flying out on the emergency helicopters.
10: About half the community stayed behind to help keep watch in the village. Landslides this time of year are common. Just a few weeks ago, part of the village cut off after the main road was blocked by debris.
3: There are crews um, uh,
0: digging drainage trenches in some especially key areas with high with high. Um, Um, water flow um, and where we've sent them provisions and groceries in and we'll continue to keep in touch with them to make sure that they are also safe.
10: The rainfall warning continues Wednesday night into Thursday as much as 100 millimeters of rain expected in the area which is already saturated. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
2: Got to hand it to those pilots flying in some nasty conditions. We bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon Mm -hmm. now for more on the rain in that area and what people can expect in the coming days in that community, Christy.
4: Thanks, Chris. It really is quite tragic. This region is really targeted by a very narrow plume and has been for close to two days now. And the origin of this moisture is really all the way from Hawaii. It's sort of like a Pineapple Express. And you can see that focused right in on the Bellacula area. So we've seen in excess of 100 millimeters of rain already in that region, we could see another 75 to 150. That 150 would be in very localized areas right along uh, the coastal regions, but likely re- near that li- river's inlet area. We're expecting it to finally ease though by Friday morning.
2: All right, they'll be relieved when that happens. Thanks very much, Christy. More bombshell testimony at the Cullen Commission with stacks and stacks of $20 bills piling into BC casinos from questionable sources. Why police
11: say they were powerless to do anything about it in just over a minute. This is my DIY fully automated contactless candy dispenser.
2: Creative innovation that's going to save Halloween coming up later on the News Hour, And a Remembrance Day poppy campaign like no other. What makes this year so unique coming up. As tens of millions of dollars flowed through B.C. casinos every year in often questionable transactions with huge sums of cash, the people overseeing it say it was not their job to intervene. John Waugh has more of the shocking testimony today from the Cullen Commission on Money Laundering.
12: It's the preferred method of payment of the criminal underworld. But the former investigations manager for the B.C. Lottery Corporation said suspicious stacks of $20 bills wrapped in elastics couldn't be stopped from entering B.C. casinos. It would have required more
2: than just a suspicion. It would have required an investigation investigation.
12: Gordon Friesen, whose appearance was obscure during his testimony at the Cullen Commission, said BCLC only had the power to observe and report, even if the money came from loan sharks. Where did you think the loan sharks
2: were getting their cash? I have no idea.
12: In 2010, the Gaming Policy and Enforcement Branch, or GPEB, emailed Friesen about a casino patron that bought in for more than a million dollars in cash over three days, all but 8000 in $20 bills.
2: Why didn't you and the service provider get together and go to this patron and say, we don't want your $20 bills? Get a bank draft. I don't have the authority to do that. We didn't have procedures in place to do that.
12: In fact, Friesen responded to GPAB that the patron was not suspected of money laundering because he was known to BCLC as a mine owner and real estate developer.
2: I don't view his transactions as suspicious. I view uh, the uh, origin of the funds as suspicious.
12: GPEB suggested that BCLC take action by capping cash transactions using $20 bills at $10,000.
2: Did you, in conjunction with your superiors, consider or explore in response to this correspondence a cash cap irrespective of denomination? No.
12: GPEB sent another letter in 2012, raising concerns that in the first nine months of that year, $63 million in cash flowed through BC casinos. 44 million of it in $20 bills. Still, the money kept coming in.
2: Maybe they sold a house and it's uh, 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 revenue from that. Maybe they, they sold art or collectibles.
12: Another suggestion to BCLC was to bar not just loan sharks, but the patrons taking their cash. Did you adopt the suggestion? No. So while criminals walked in with suspicious stacks of $20 bills, were authorities too busy passing the buck to actually stop it at the door? John Hua, Global News.
2: Vancouver police have identified a man whose body was found off Kitts Point last week. Police say 57 year old Vancouver resident Douglas Wanky was the victim of homicide. His remains were found inside a large recycling bin found floating in the water near Kitts Point October 18th. Investigators are asking anyone who might have information about Wanky's death to contact the VPD homicide team or Crime Stoppers. Lawyers for Meng Wanzhou argued today that an RCMP officer was not giving an honest answer to their questions. Meng is fighting extradition to the U.S. for alleged fraud. And as Romina Dea reports, the focus today was why Meng was questioned extensively by Canadian Border Services before she was arrested.
8: CBSA officer Scott Kirkland testified after the RCMP informed him about the arrest warrant for Meng Wanzhou and he researched her online, he realized this was going to be a high-profile international examination. We were shocked this was happening. We had serious concerns. We knew this was going to be a big deal, said Kirkland. He told the court he had concerns of espionage, national security, and serious criminality, given Meng was the CFO of Huawei, the Chinese telecommunications giant in the news, banned by Canadian allies, Australia and New Zealand. Kirkland, a CBSA officer for 12 years, testified there were reasonable grounds for examination regarding Mung's admissibility into Canada. He said he asked for Mung's numbers and passcodes to her devices, and she provided them. Kirkland said he had zero contact with foreign law enforcement. He said Mung was calm, pleasant, and declined an interpreter twice. Mung was questioned by border guards for three hours with no lawyer before she was read her rights and arrested by the RCMP. Defense arguing the delay was essentially a ruse to gather intel for U.S. authorities, a violation of Mung's charter rights, therefore the case should be thrown out. Earlier in the day, defense grilled RCMP Constable Winston Yepp on his third day on the stand. Defence suggesting the Mountie was not being honest when he said safety concerns played a role in the delay to arrest Hmong immediately, pursuant to a court order. Yep stood his ground, repeatedly saying there was a safety risk. Kirkland is back on the stand Thursday when he will be cross-examined by Defence. Ramina Dea, Global News.
2: Coming up, a look back at 2010, which started out so well in BC politics.
11: This has actually exceeded our best expectations.
2: Mm, but the glow of Olympic glory faded quickly, the wild twists and turns that made it a political roller coaster later. Also tonight, how Donald Trump is trying to sow doubt in the US election results.
8: Good news here in Vancouver, just now cleared a stall northbound on Knight Street at 57th Avenue. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million
3: plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Ninth Street in Vancouver.
1: Global BC 60th anniversary in partnership with Connect Hearing, the number one physician-referred hearing provider.
2: Well, in 60 years of covering politics for this newsroom, some of the most surprising stories came during the decade that began in 2010. The year started with Premier Gordon Campbell celebrating the start of the Winter Olympics. But it got strange from there with his resignation and the rise of Christy Clark and beyond. Keith Baldry has a look back at a turbulent 10 years in the provincial capital.
11: This has actually exceeded our best expectations.
7: The decade began with a successful Winter Olympics, but for longtime Premier Gordon Campbell, things went steadily downhill from there. The HST debacle, the tax was rejected in a referendum, eventually forced Campbell to step down.
11: It's time for a new person to lead the province. I'm asking the party to move as quickly
10: as possible to organize this leadership convention.
8: Uh, Earlier this morning, I informed the provincial secretary of the NDP and our caucus chair that I'll be stepping down as leader of the official opposition and of the new Democrats.
7: But he wasn't the only provincial leader to be forced out. NDP leader Carol James had to resign in the wake of a caucus revolt.
11: It says to me that uh, the B.C. Liberals have been wrong about just about everything in the last couple of
7: years. Two new leaders soon appeared, Adrian Dix for the NDP and Christy Clark for the B.C. Liberals. Clark quickly faced an internal rebellion of her own as the next election approached.
2: Never a dull moment in B.C. politics.
7: All signs and polls pointed to a surefire 2013 election win by Dix and the NDP. But Clark pulled out a miracle victory and kept the B.C. Liberals in power.
0: Thanks to British Columbians, we have a strong new team to implement our bold vision for this province.
7: The next four years saw the B.C. Liberals preside over an escalating housing crisis, accusations of having too close ties to big money, and a worsening image problem for Clark. In the 2017 election, the NDP pounced on the affordability issue by getting rid of tolls on the Port Mann Bridge and savagely attacked Clark's image.
0: Some things only happen in British Columbia.
7: In the end, the B.C. Liberals won the most seats, but not a majority. And Clark lost a confidence vote that summer. I've just uh, spoken with the Lieutenant Governor, and she has asked me if, if I have the confidence of the legislature to form a government, and I've told her that I do. Meanwhile, NDP leader John Horgan and B.C. Green leader Andrew Weaver forged an alliance that allowed the NDP to form government. With the B.C. NDP, I find a partner. That will actually position British Columbia in the new economy.
13: I. I.
7: It was the first NDP government in almost 17 years, and the party was able to govern comfortably even in a minority government situation. The decade ended with the NDP and John Horgan delivering balanced budgets and gradually delivering on key campaign promises. We need to ensure that people stay healthy and that British Columbians can move forward confidently as we proceed to the other side of the new normal. But just around the corner lay the pandemic, which would change everything. Keith Baldry, Global News.
13: Yeah. The
2: Flash has been filming next door, and its microphones are no longer
13: interfering with ours. Squire, take it away. Well, I have a completely different view now of superheroes. <laughs> they ruined our show last night. The uh, death of David Brayley, the BC Lions owner, means it's more than likely the Lions will have a new owner the next time they play an actual game. When that is, nobody knows. But the Aquilini family reiterated today they are not interested in buying the Lions. Their names have come up a few times as potential owners, but they actually looked into it seriously a few years ago, but they decided then against buying the BC Lions. The Seattle Seahawks are in a rush to fix their pass rush. So today they traded offensive lineman B.J. Finney and a 7th round draft choice to Cincinnati for defensive end Carlos Dunlap who happens to be the all-time sack leader for the Bengals. But his best days are behind him, to be honest, so the Hawks are hoping for a Rain City revival with him. He was unhappy in Cincinnati because he wasn't being used correctly, he thought. He'll be on the edge for Seattle and asked to get after quarterbacks from that position. He'll get lots of chances to play with Seattle because they have not been generating enough pressure and it's been forcing the offense to bail the defense out game after game because of covid restrictions though dunlap cannot play until week number nine against buffalo
7: it's critical you know to to develop your, your rush so they can complement with the rest of the game you know, to get on on the edge and, and and force it and break down the pocket and and uh, perhaps you know get clean on the edge where you get right in the, in the face of the quarterback it's a built-in need uh, if you're going to have a, a good you know, developing pass rush.
13: He's also good at gymnastics, according to that somersault. The uh, NFL says it plans to look into allowing 20% of the seats to be filled for the Super Bowl next February. The game will be played in Tampa Bay. All fans would have to wear masks. They'd all have to sit in pods six feet apart. At the moment, I think 19 NFL teams are allowing some fans in their stadiums if local authorities okay it, but the average is around 20% capacity. At the Super Bowl, that would result in anywhere from 13 to 15,000 fans to be on hand. Vancouver's Vasek Pospisil upset Felix Ali Yassim in Vienna today in straight set, 7-5, 7-5. First time Pospisil has defeated Ojeali Yassim, who's ranked 21st in the world. Pospisil now gets Daniel Medvedev in the second round of that tournament. Well, the L.A. Dodgers got to celebrate their World Series title last night in a very 2020 way, with a team-wide COVID-19 test, because third baseman Justin Turner tested positive and was pulled out of last night's game in the eighth inning when baseball found out he had tested positive. But now Major League Baseball is wondering why, after they quarantined Turner in a doctor's room at the stadium in Dallas, Texas, he came out and celebrated with teammates. Officials saw him on the field about an hour after the game had ended. They allegedly asked him to go back to wherever that room was, but he refused. He then took his mask off for a team photo. Now you might think, since he'd already been around his team for most of the game, what's the difference at this point if he spent more time with them? But the fact of the matter was he was apparently told to stay quarantined, he refused, and baseball is now investigating what happened. Well, any schedule any league puts out for next year is, of course, wishful thinking. I guess it pretty much goes for all of us. Who knows where the pandemic will be in 2021. But everyone needs hope, and every league needs a schedule. So the National Lacrosse League put theirs out today.
7: The National Lacrosse League is scheduled the weekend of April the 9th through the 11th as its opening date. If the NLL plays, and with COVID that remains a big if, it'll mark a full year since the Vancouver Warriors were last on the floor.
10: Down low in front for McBride, a diving effort, and he
14: scores. It's something that we can shoot for. They, 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 they put a stake in the ground, and that's the, the date that we'll be working towards. It's a full season uh, scheduled uh, as of right now. I think they're planning for 19 weeks, which, if I do the math right, we're into mid to late August, and then playoffs. So. Um, Yeah, full season and we're excited for it.
7: A lot can change in the next five months for the Warriors and the NLL, hopefully for the better. This is a gate-driven league. They need fans in the building. Playing inside a bubble is not possible. Most of the 13 teams' rosters are filled with Canadians who have full-time jobs away from the floor. From now until April, there's a lot of work to be done before we see the return of professional lacrosse.
14: You know, the caution there is, of course, it's a date, and we're excited about it, but COVID is going to be the driving force. Like, what are the Canadian and U.S. governments going to do? What about the quarantine? What about bums and seats in this building? All those things have to fall in place, but, you know, it's a positive that they're making that announcement, and we're excited about it. I know our players and coaches are excited about it, but we, we need to make sure all those other things are looked after.
13: I don't know why I find that funny. We put bums in the seats. Well, where else are you going to put them? Well, yep. that's where they belong. Because if you sat the other way, you wouldn't see a thing.
2: That's true. When you think about it. That's true. Yeah. All right, on that note, let's check in with Jay Durant, see what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Chris. We're going to check out uh, the latest
13: on the flood risks in the Central Coast. We have a crew in Port Hardy as those forced out of their homes arrive at the evacuation center. Plus, 16 B.C.U. firefighters back from fighting the California wildfires have now tested positive for COVID-19. They're quarantining in a Richmond hotel. We'll tell you what BC Wildfire Service is saying about their condition and why this will likely not stop others from volunteering to head back to the states. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris.
2: All right, thanks very much, Jay. And when we come back, Halloween must go on. And we'll talk about the contactless candy dispensers that people are inventing to make that happen next.
4: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot...
2: contactless trick-or-treating isn't just a trend when celebrating Halloween in the middle of a pandemic. It's a necessity. And one Ladner man has come up with some COVID-friendly creations that go well beyond your typical candy shoot. Linda Aylesworth shows us the innovations celebrated by the community and inspiring others.
0: In an inconspicuous garage in a sleepy Ladner neighborhood, an experiment is underway.
11: You learn a lot, right, when you do this kind of stuff?
0: Remind you of anything? It's
14: alive! It's alive! It's alive!
0: But this inventor is no Dr. Frankenstein.
11: My name is Matt Reed, and on YouTube, I am Redneck Engineer.
0: Redneck, because, he says, he's not a certified engineer. Just a guy with lots of ideas, circuit boards, duct tape, and a 3D printer, which he's putting to good use this Halloween.
11: This guy is my main baby so this is the fully automated uh, dragon dispenser and when it detects uh, movement directly in front of the mouth it turns on the auger automatically and it just dispenses candy for the kids.
0: (laughs) But the goal to make Halloween safer in the midst of a pandemic by giving out candy at a safe distance can be achieved more simply.
11: So the level one would be kind of like the one in the middle there where it's just four-inch PVC pipe to a candy bucket that's got a hole cut in it.
0: This one he made with the help of his children. But add a wiper motor, a homemade auger, and a light sensor, and you get a souped-up version.
11: It's an elephant. The reason why I made this one is so that I could install it at a care home.
0: We thought they weren't going to be able to to have Halloween this year. And thanks to Matt and his device, we're going to be able to be, you know, to give a little back to our community. Simply by shining a light from inside the home onto a sensor outside on the elephant, residents can safely trigger a release of candy. In his Ladner neighborhood, Matt's more than a redneck engineer. He's the guy who saved Halloween.
11: It's not the same as it is before. We can't live life the same as it was before. But we can find different ways that we can move forward. (laughs)
0: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
2: Well, Matt has done one other thing to help keep the kids in his Ladner neighborhood safe this Halloween. He's created a Google map of households that are following the B.C. Center for Disease Control's safe trick-or-treating guidelines so people in his neighborhood can pre-plan their trip. Well done, Matt. And that is a YouTube channel I'm definitely going to check out. Have you got yours figured out yet, Christy? (laughs)
4: Uh, yes, I think so. I'm. I've got sort of a slide from the deck here that I'm going to slide the candies down, made out of cardboard.
2: That's a good idea. We've got one of those really long garbage <laughs> picker-upper things that we're going to be putting it over the fence to whatever, <laughs> whatever kids come by in our neighborhood as well. So we'll give it a <laughs> shot. We want people to be. Why do you just throw <laughs> it from the top window? <laughs> yeah, maybe I might do that too. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, a good, okay, last word on last word on weather, uh, Christy. Before we go.
4: One more great, but dry day. Rain in the morning Friday, and then it clears out just in time for Halloween, everyone.
2: Perfect timing again. Thanks very much, Christy. Talk to you later, everybody. Thanks for watching.